thankful team today for leading us in that. And that is a beautiful song. And it does describe well what we're talking about today. A um, few things just to keep in mind before we launch into the message. And that would be first, the congregational meeting is tonight. And we want to really encourage just be there. Show up. It's going to be a good time. It's, it's a family time, right? We're, we're a family. And so we're going to talk about family stuff. We've got uh, the, uh, the Access for All campaign updates to give you. We've got, you know, family updates to give you. We just got things to celebrate. Not to mention, we're also uh, having a time afterwards to celebrate, again, Nancy Sanders, who's served so faithfully as our executive assistant or one of our executive assistants for the past. We're still debating on the years. Is it 18 years? Is it 17 years? Is it 18 I think it's 19 too. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. 19 years. So don't come on by and, and, uh, and be sure to, you know, again, express your thanks there. There's also a box in the foyer. We mentioned that last week. You can drop a card in there if you like to just say thanks uh, to Nancy. But uh, we're, we're grateful for her. You've also noticed that we're missing several people around here today. And there's a good reason for it. Uh, it is not because of the ravages of disease, as is typically the case. But in, in today, we've got uh, our Elevate Youth Ministry is up uh, at camp right now. And so we're grateful for that. Andrew and the team has a bunch of young people up in a cabin in Arnold. And they're enjoying uh, God's creation there. And, and so uh, we're grateful that um, they can do that. We're grateful that we have a church that cares about young people. And I just want to take time right now. Just can we pray for them right now on that retreat that God would use it? Lord, uh, we want to lift up elevate right now. We want to thank you for our leaders. Uh, there are several that are serving you there, including Dave House, who's, who's sharing your word probably at this very moment. And we would pray, Lord, that for the, for the young people who know you, that they would be strengthened in their faith in this time, that their walk together would be uh, fortified by you, and that you would even prepare them uh, for the seasons ahead in their life through this time. And for those that don't know you, Lord, we pray especially that in this time away up in the mountains that they would be born again, that they would turn to you and that they would believe. And so we, we want to thank you for what you're doing. We want to thank you for uh, this team that, that cares for um, young people at the strategic time in their lives. And we pray for safe travels as they come down the mountain as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I recently overheard a... Uh, a story where a guy's there at, at uh, Starbucks, you know, he's about to order, and he's hearing this discussion behind him. And this is a middle-aged guy, and he's hearing this discussion behind him, and these guys are talking, a couple of younger guys, about cryptocurrency, right? What's cryptocurrency? And, and frankly, the guy's like, it was all foreign language to me. I had no idea what they were talking about. It's kind of hard to imagine a realm of currency, he was saying, that, that I know nothing about. <laughs> you know, it's kind of strange. And then the conversation took a turn as they were standing in line. And one of the young men starts discussing with this other young man things about the Lord Jesus Christ. So it went from currency, about which this guy knew nothing about, to something beautiful, an actual currency of heaven, so to speak. Things of real value. And, and that's what God has really done. When you think about our lives in him, he's taken us and brought us into a new realm his kingdom. And he's given us the, this currency of an unknown world around to us, to, to give to the world around us. That's what we're here to do. We've just sung of it even, just that sharing of grace, that sharing of mercy that we've been given in Jesus. And we need to hold on to that because Jesus is telling us the way we're to live out in light of his kingdom. We're kingdom citizens. 
And, he, and he's telling us we need to live out that kingdom in the world that we've been placed into. And sometimes we don't do that. You know what we do instead? We get upset with the world around us. Frankly, sometimes we're just kind of done with the world around us. Especially as we look at our country, we look at the moral decay, we look at the sort of just the way ethics have gone down the tubes, we look at the political spectrum, and from every angle, it all just kind of looks depressing. We look at our neighborhoods, our families. We look at the strife that we encounter in relationships. We look at our work sometimes, and we're going, I don't want to go back again. I'm just kind of done. And then what we do is something changes in our hearts. And rather than being a redemptive, Christ-centered, overflowing of kingdom principles and this, again, unknown currency to be given to others, rather than exuding that, we actually just kind of go on attack because they're wrong and we're right. And then what do we do? We end up attacking the very mission field we've been sent to. And we don't have that kingdom influence. We don't have that way of being this, this beautiful beacon of grace and light and truth and love. Instead, we just kind of go all out to attack it all, and then we end up not being a light at all in the dark. We kind of become jaded and, 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 and internally withdrawn. And the Lord Jesus doesn't, doesn't want us to act that way. Be, not, not because he wants us to put on an act, but because he wants us to live out what he's actually done in our hearts. If you're here today and you're a believer, Jesus is calling you to walk in a different way. And so I want to encourage you to open to Luke 6, verses 37 through 45. Well, it's on page 50 in the, in the Bibles on the chair rack in front of you in the New Testament. But, you know, last week we saw from Jesus the importance of imitating our Heavenly Father. In other words, Jesus has shown us that we need to see things the way he sees them. And then we need to act in the way that he acts, which means we need to live out love in the way that he loves us. And so we saw how God loves with a merciful, compassionate, upside down, otherworldly, deep, robust, unquenchable, unstoppable love. And we tried to kind of reduce that down into one term and we called it lavish love. That's what God does with us. And that word lavish comes from the idea of, of overflowing there's a torrent that's kind of just flowing through and saturating something else without restraint, something being poured out. And so we saw last week that God's love, that lavish love, calls us to love beyond common sense. That we're actually to even love our enemies. And today Jesus is going to continue teaching us along the same line. And he's going to show us ways in which that lavish love leads us also just to live out a different way with those around us in our life on a daily basis. So would you please stand in honor of God's word and follow along as I read Luke 6, 37 through 45. So Jesus has just said, be merciful just as your heavenly father is merciful. And he goes on to say, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, 
and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of his good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask that you would, by your Spirit's work amongst us, cause us to see and to be changed. We ask, Lord, that, that the way in which you have shown mercy would cause us to follow you in showing mercy. We pray, Lord, that you would protect us from what we're warned against here in, in living in such a way that we are not, in fact, a kingdom beacon in the midst of a dark world. Lord, grace us to, to become the, the, the people you want us to be for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So as I mentioned, last week God called us to, to cause his lavish love to, to make us love others beyond the realm of common sense, which would mean we actually love our enemies. And today, Jesus continues that teaching along the same line. And as we explore this passage, we're going to see that because lavish love from God leads us to a lavish life with others, we must do several things. Okay, if God's lavish love hits us, transforms us, changes us, it leads to a lavish life with other people. And the first thing we're going to do is this. We're going to stop judging and start forgiving. Um, these are imperative verbs that Jesus gives here. So it's not just the idea of, hey, you know what? You shouldn't judge. The implication in the imperative is this. You're already judging people. And you've got to stop it because you're engaging in something that's not reflecting God's kingdom. Now, of course, this passage is probably one of the most, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. This is yet another passage that is one of the most abused passages ever. As a matter of fact, for those who uh, don't know much about the Bible at all, you know, our culture will quote this verse all the time. There can be people who don't even know there's such a thing as an Old Testament or a New Testament, but somehow they know this verse. And their whole thing is, don't judge. And of course, to them, what that means is that somehow you are evaluating somebody else as if it's wrong. And really, in our culture, to, to judge in this way, to judge someone else, it's probably the most heinous crime you can commit to most people. Because you get to do you, and I get to do me. 
You do you, I do me, and we'll leave that, the rest to, to, to nothing. Um, but here's the thing. This is definitely not what Jesus is teaching here. He's not talking about that. As a matter of fact, um, the latter portion we read just, just earlier in verses 42 and following, what is Jesus saying? There's this log and there's a speck. Jesus isn't saying, don't take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. He's not saying that. He's saying, take the log out of your own eye first. So there, there's a sense in which we're called to interact with others on that level. And then he even concludes this section by talking about fruit and how good fruit would come from someone whose heart is in that place of, of following the Lord. And, and bad fruit is going to come out of a, of a heart that's opposed to God. So certainly the, he's not saying simply just don't judge. How dare you judge? Uh, no, instead he's saying do not engage in judgmentalism. All right, now we got to clarify what's judgmentalism. This is the idea that I am able to look down on you because I've got it together and you obviously don't. And now I'm just going to criticize you and I'm going to put you in your place because I am so superior to you. Uh, it's the idea that, that uh, someone is engaging in, in tearing others down in a merciless way. And, uh, and, and what Jesus is saying here is don't engage in that kind of thing. And notice, then you won't be judged. Uh, stop judging and instead start doing something else. Start forgiving. Uh, I'm pairing these two things together because I think Jesus is actually using parallelism here. Notice you've got two negatives and two positives. Judging, don't do it. Condemning, don't do it. Instead, pardon and give. And so I'm pairing the judging, the first one of the negatives, with the first positive. Pardon means to forgive. And, and you can see how those two things are, are, are opposites. Um, because um, when you're in the midst of judging someone, you're, you're going to call them to task and say, hey, get this together. Change the way you're doing this. Usually if I'm personally offended, especially, right? If I'm, if I'm the one that you're, you're, you're judging, I want you to cut that out immediately. Um, and so this harsh, critical, compassionless judgment of enemies, that's really what Jesus is talking about here. Um, he already referred to it back in verse 28. You'll notice it says there, bless those who curse you. There it is. They're, they're, they're the ones judging you. You're not responding in kind. And, and, and this idea of you will not be judged, uh, that's, a, that's you know, actively don't judge, and then passively you won't become judged. That phrase is kind of a Hebrew way of referring to um, how God is going to conduct himself towards you. Because that's a question that comes up. Well, who's, I'm not going to be judged by who, right? Is it going to be God? Is it going to be people? And, and the, the implication of this particular phrase is this was a way in Hebrew they could refer to God without using his name. Because they didn't want to use God's name, right? They were, they were careful against that. And so this, the idea would be, as you are conducting yourself towards others, God, in his justice, will deal with you as well in, in a similar way. And we find Jesus instructing in the same way, even when he talks about the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive, forgive us our sins as we have what? Forgiven our debtors, right? There's this way. Now, some people say, well, wait, are you saying you're going to earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others? No. The point is, you are demonstrating that you have already been forgiven by the way you act toward other people. 
It's the evidence of what's happened in your heart is again coming out in your life. And so he says, don't judge. Instead, pardon. Uh, forgive other people. And, and that's a, uh, a beautiful thing because you're realizing I need to forgive others because of how much I've been forgiven. Maybe you'll recall in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, there's that, that parable that Jesus gives of the servant who was forgiven several years worth of wages from, from, from his master. And he's been forgiven what he owed. And then he walks out and, and there's a fellow servant that owns, owes him like a day's worth of wages. And he does not forgive the fellow servant. And Jesus describes the situation where the other servants are, are appalled. They, they realize this guy's been forgiven hundreds of times more from the master. And yet now he's not willing to forgive his fellow servant. And so then as Jesus describes this, he, he kind of comes to the conclusion. And he says, look, if you're not going to demonstrate that grace and forgiveness towards others, you are showing that you've never actually really received God's forgiveness of you. And so this is a similar principle that Jesus brings out here. He's saying instead of being someone who's judging, you need to be someone who is forgiving. Now, does it mean, again, we're not to use um, discernment or evaluate things? Of course not. He's not talking about the legal realm. He's not talking about the realm of um, being discerning regarding what others are doing. He certainly isn't saying that means whatever behavior anyone engages in, it's okay. Just turn a blind eye. You do you and let them do them. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's saying, do not allow a compassionless, harsh-hearted, critical hostility toward others cause you to look down on them and criticize them, especially if they are your enemy and they've offended you. Instead, forgive them. And, uh, and that's just a, a, a very important way that we show who we are. Because um, lavish love from God leads us to a lavish life with other people. And so stop judging, start forgiving. And that's really hard. I, I think it's much easier for us to say that we should do that when it comes to other people, which we'll get to a little later. <laughs> right? It's, it's a lot easier to look at others and go, well, you should forgive them. And then when you're the one that's hurt and offended. You're like, whoa, hold on. Um. But that's, that's what, we're, what we're called to do. So stop judging and start, start forgiving. The, the next thing we would also see is, is lavish love from God leads us to a lavish life with others. And that should cause us not only to stop judging and start forgiving, but we also must stop condemning and start giving. And that's found in, in verses 37 and 38. So do not condemn and you will not be condemned. It's related to judging. It's the same thing. This has more, more the idea, though, of, of this is, I'm giving you your final sentence. You are relegated to this. You are in the land of consequence. I condemn you. I, I separate from you. I, I reject you. And rather than doing that, um, he, he's saying, you know what? You're, you're not that, you're not God. <laughs> there is only one who has that right. You don't have the right to to establish someone's condemnation. You are not the judge. Don't put yourself in the place of, of executioner. That's not you. And again, that happens a lot when we end up making an enemy out of the mission field that we're called to. Well, those people, they're gonna, they deserve what they get. 
That, that, that should not be our attitude at all. Yeah, we, we, we certainly want to stand for truth and we want to confront what is wrong, but we don't do it in such a way where we make the enemy the people that we're called to reach. And so he's saying here, don't condemn. And by the way, if you don't, you're not going to be condemned. Why? Because you're demonstrating again that you've received that grace from God and you're enacting it. You're living it out. And instead, you're supposed to give and it's going to be given to you. Now, I want to bring out a, a, an important answer to some questions that do come from this section. We've already alluded to one of them. Who's doing um, this, this not condemning or this not judging or this pardoning? And certainly, like I said, there's the phrase there in Hebrew does, is used by, by that culture to allude to God without actually using his name. It's a common phrase that's used all the time in that way. However, there's a curveball thrown here in verse 38. Look what Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. And notice the next word, they will pour into your lap, good measure, press down, shaken together and running over. And it's like, whoa, time out, what's happening there? Yeah, who's the they? Well, if you follow the they, it traces back to the enemies just referred to. Isn't that interesting? So it's what's going on here. Who's enacting this? Is it God or is it people? And the answer is yes. It's one of those. In other words, the cultural Hebrew phrase there is showing us that God is the one who is not going to judge, that God is the one who is not going to condemn, that God is the one who's going to pardon. And yet in verse 38, they will pour. This is what people are doing. When you are being these things, when you are, you know, giving in this way, they're going to actually pour into your lap as well. So it's both. The answer is really both. And we would find here uh, an illustration of the, of the doctrine of providence. What is providence? That, that's, that's what theologically we would find throughout the pages of Scripture that show us that God is the one who is continually involved in his creation. He keeps creation together. He maintains the properties of of creation with which he, he made it. And, and then he also works through creation in directing what creatures do. We're creatures. We're not the creator. We're creatures. So he directs what we do to fulfill his purpose without violating or without disallowing us making real choices in the real world. There's another doctrine called the doctrine of concurrence. It's the same idea. You know, uh, Joseph talks about it. You meant for evil against his brothers who sold him into slavery back in Genesis 50. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. They're both happening at the same time. So did God have Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery? Yes. Did Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery? Yes. God meant it for good. Joseph's brothers meant it for evil. They're both true at the same time. You get concurrence there. So that's what we'd see in this as well. Um, in, this, in this particular passage here, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, press down, shaken together. Well, how does that work? Well, he, Jesus just described it. You'll recall if you were with us last week, look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good, do, good, do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. He's, Jesus already described that. He said, that's the way of the world. If you do good to others, they do good to you. And so there's, a, there's kind of a, a, a both and kind of thread happening through here. 
If, if we are going to live in this way of grace, of emulating God, of seeing things the way God sees them, and then lavishing love on those around us, the fact is we're going to be a beacon. We're going to demonstrate that we, in fact, have been changed by grace. Hence, God is not going to judge us because we've been saved by grace. We will not be condemned because we're in Jesus and saved by grace. We will be pardoned. We're demonstrating that we're pardoned because we're showing that. But at the same time, even on a, on a horizontal level, people are going to respond to you better. The Proverbs talk about this all the time. There's a proverb that says, a soft tongue breaks the bone. What's he talking about? Is he talking about walking up to someone and going, come here, give me your arm. Watch this. Uh, you know, no, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, when you speak to others and respond with soft words, guess what happens? They might do something shocking, even if they're your opponent. If you use softer words, they might... Listen to you. Whoa. Yeah, it's true. And so when we're engaging with other people, even our enemies, we're told, look, act in this way that emulates God. See things the way he sees them and then conduct yourself in the way that he conducts himself. And as he's lavished love on you, lavish love on others. So both of these are, are, are present here. And then, and then we see this beautiful description given, it'll be given to you. They will pour into your lap in good measure. You've got this idea of press down, shaking together and running over. That's directly from the first century marketplace. When you bought grain and you had your container, they would press it down. Why? Because they wanted to fit more grain in there. Then they would, they would shake it up to make sure all the air was out. Like, you know when you buy a bag of Lay's potato chips, and it's like half air? Okay, this is to prevent that from happening. So the idea of this is no way. Your lace potato chip bag, man, you're going to open that puppy. It's like overflowing, right? There's, it's, it's full. So they, you press it down, you shake it together, it's running over. And then this is almost a, a humorous picture because as the person is in there in the marketplace and they're holding this container and they're pressing up grain to get in there, it actually overflows the top and, and this person's catching extra grain in their robe. Lavish giving happens. And certainly, we would see this from God to his people. We're told this clearly. And we are to live uh, generous lives, content lives. Does it matter how much money we're talking about? No. Sadly, there's a whole group of, you know, word, faith, false teachers on many airwaves all over the country who would say, take this verse, and they'll say, see that? So you need to give so you'll get more. And then conveniently, it's, you need to give more to me, and you'll get more. And there's an entire, sadly, industry based on this. And it is, it is straight from the pit of hell. It is sickening. It is not the gospel. And it is popular, super popular. And so we need to be clear that that's not what he's talking about. But instead, this idea of... of um, it running over is the idea of God at work. And, and maybe you will receive that blessing here today. Maybe you will receive it when you go home to be with him in eternity. Maybe God will bless you uh, monetarily. Maybe he won't. Maybe he's going to bless you with peace or with wisdom or with a, with a deeper understanding of, of what's happening or a sense of his nearness or contentedness. Or there's all kinds. Of, people just narrow it down to this. I want this one thing. And, and we dare not minimize the text. No, it's, it's, it's broader than that. But the point is, you're never going to outgive God. 
all that you have is his, you're never going to outgive him in any way. And, and God works beautifully by his providence to, to demonstrate this. Uh, this. There's an example of this idea of measure for measure from the, from the life of, of a poor Scottish farmer. He was called Fleming, Farmer Fleming. And, and one day the farmer heard a cry for help coming from a, from a, a nearby bog. And so there, mired to his waist in black muck, was a terrified boy. And he was screaming and he was trying to, to free himself. And so the farmer, Farmer Fleming, saved the, the young boy from what have been a, a, an awful death. And so the next day, a fancy carriage pulls up at the doorway of Farmer Fleming. And, and, a, and a, a Scottish nobleman stepped out and introduced himself and said that he was the farmer of, uh, or he was the father of the boy that Fleming had saved. And, and the nobleman says, I, I want to repay you. Please help me to give you something. I want to I give you some kind of reward for this. And the farmer's like, no, I, I don't need that. I'm not taking that. I'm going to save a boy's life. I, I, don't, I would never need payment for that. And so uh, then right at that moment, the, the farmer's son came to the doorway and the nobleman saw him and said, is that your son? And farmer Fleming says, yeah, yeah, it is. And the nobleman said, well, let me take him and give him a good education. And you know what? If this lad's anything like his father, he's going to grow into a man that you could be proud of. And so that's, that's what happened. In time, the farmer's son did graduate, actually, from, from medical school, St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London. And later, he became better known throughout the whole world as Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. And then many years later, when the nobleman's son was stricken with pneumonia, his life was saved, that same nobleman's son's life was saved by the drug that Fleming had discovered. And by the way, that sick son that was made well would also become a famous man. And his name was Sir Winston Churchill. So you can just see how, again, God works. God does things in ways that we don't always understand. And the blessing isn't always just a financial thing. It could be broader than that. And and, and, you know, there's that saying, you know, what goes around comes around. And, of course, that's got a randomness to it. The Bible is saying much more than that. Jesus is describing something much more deliberate, something that's coming about by God's providence. And so he's saying, you know, however you end up receiving it, you need to live as kingdom citizens. Lavish love has impacted your life, has saturated your life. You now pour that out and watch what God does. Because genuine followers of Jesus, they're going to be people that are generally characterized by being accepting and forgiving and giving. And they're this way because that's what Jesus is like. I mean, Jesus is the judge of the universe. And yet, he never exposed the sin of someone without also offering mercy. He never delighted in highlighting someone's failings. Now, he would, he would pronounce judgments. He would condemn people who refused to turn to him and repent. But never is there a hint of judgmentalism in Jesus. Ever. I mean, was Jesus forgiving? Please, as he hung on the cross, as we talked about even last week, he, he cried out there for forgiveness of those who were in the process of killing him, saying, Lord, they don't know what they do. And so, you know, how, how giving is Jesus? 
I love 2 Corinthians 8 puts it this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. There's this beautiful exchange happening with Jesus. He's giving. And so, and so that's the heart of Jesus. And if we're following him, if we're actual disciples of Jesus, you know what? We are going to grow in these ways. So because lavish love from God leads to a lavish life with others, we must stop judging and start forgiving. We must stop condemning and start giving. We also need to stop critiquing and start discerning. We find that in verses 39 through 42. Jesus begins to speak in parables. And, and, and he kind of gives a bunch of, of pairs. So he gives two blind men. He gives a teacher and a pupil. He gives two brothers. And then he gives two trees. So there's kind of these pairs that he's talking about as he brings out these truths through um, the, the giving of a parable. And so the first one we find is, you know, a blind man can't guide a blind man, can he? Or they'll both fall into a pit. The truth is, in, in, in first century Israel, when you would look around the landscape, you would see pits all over the place, dug in various spots because it's an arid climate. And the land was dry and they needed water. So a lot of times when they're looking for water, they would dig a pit, dig a pit, no water here. Okay, go over here, dig a pit, dig a pit, no, no water. And they keep going till they found water. What did that mean? Well, as you looked around the land, you'd see a bunch of pits. And they're deep. So Jesus, again, is using a parable. I mean, these are, these are tangible illustrations for the people of that time. Uh, Jesus was telling stories and inviting people in using things they understood on an everyday basis in order to learn spiritual truths. That's what a parable is. And so here Jesus is saying, there's these pits everywhere. Have you ever seen a blind person trying to lead another blind person? What's going to happen with these pits everywhere? They're both going to fall in. And so what is he warning us against? He's warning us against who do you follow? Who are you following? And, and so we need to carefully choose who we follow. Um, because the fact is, if we don't follow those who are actually going on the true path, Jesus is warning, you're going to fall into a pit. Um, who's he referring to here? I think it's very likely it's the Pharisees. I would say see that for a few reasons. One, they are very likely present in the crowd. Two, who are the ones that are teaching to judge, to condemn? Well, it's the Pharisees. They were professionals at that. They were really good. Also, we find that Jesus himself uses the exact same terminology in referring to the Pharisees in this way in Matthew 23, when he calls the Pharisees blind guides. Same picture. And so Jesus is saying, be careful who you're following. And I think the principle for us can be, make sure you're discerning who you're following. And be especially careful of those who are the um, legalistic, who are saying you need to act a certain way in order to earn God's acceptance or favor. Be very careful because they're leading you into a pit. I think for also, all of us, we need to recognize something. We're all leading someone, aren't we? There are people around us that we're leading 
It might be in your family. It might be in the workplace. It might be in your neighborhood. Wherever it is, the question would be, are you leading them toward the gospel, the good news? Or instead, are you kind of leading them into some sort of self-righteous religion? Self-righteous religion is deadly. And you don't want to look back on your life and go, yeah, that's right, I, was, I thought I was doing the right thing by making them follow me in this, and yet here we are, we're both in a pit. We need to be careful. But Jesus goes on to, to describe again um, the, the fact that a pupil is not going to be above their teacher. And after they're fully trained, they're going to be like a teacher. So he's going on to describe that relationship. Choose carefully and teach others carefully. And then he goes on to, to, to describe something that the Pharisees, again, were particularly known for doing. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Again, this is a humorous picture. So we see here, by the way, that Jesus did use humor. He used laughter. This is an absurdity, is it not? Someone's walking around. So a beam is like, like that. Like you can see what's holding up this building we're in right now. All right, we've got the glue lambs. So that's a beam. And a speck would be, you know, something tiny that gets stuck in your eye. And so this humorous, absurd picture, Jesus is saying, is you're all preoccupied with this person's sin, wrongdoing, shortcoming, with if they've hurt your feelings, whatever it is. You're all about correcting that. But you're walking around with one of these in your eyeball. Okay, let me get that speck out of your eye. You can see the absurdity, right? And that's what Jesus is bringing out. And he's saying, why are you doing this? If you're actually one who has received lavish love, that's not how you're going to live. And, and, and this, is, this is a challenge, I think, for us because, you know, it's interesting. Because I will look at other people and oh, they're critiquing them. But you know what? They do the same thing. But that's not me understanding this. I understand this when I go, oh, they're critiquing them, but they're doing the same thing, which is the same thing I do. Aha, now I'm getting it. You know, we're, we're, we're back to, you know, the, the way we use the Old Testament so often, right? We look at the people of Israel like, look, you saw the miracles of the plagues and you saw the parting of the Red Sea and you're not following God. You're going to doubt him in the wilderness. Come on. And we see that as an absurdity. We almost look at it like it's a, you know, a piece of artwork that's really ugly. It's a bad portrait on the wall. Oh, that's ugly. That's ugly. Look at those, the way the Israelites are in the wilderness. That's ugly. And then we get closer and we realize, oh, yeah, it's a mirror. Right? It's pointing at me. I'm the one that needs to repent. Galatians 6.1 puts it beautifully when it says this. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. But we minimize our own sin, don't we? We don't think we've got the plank. If, if, we, if we even admit that we have sin as we're trying to deal with other people, often it's this. Well, they've got a big sliver and I've got a tiny speck. That's how we see it. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got a sticking out of your eyeball and you're trying to get this little dinky speck out of their eye. How does that come out in our lives? Well, we, we, mim we minimize our sin. That's what we do. So it's not really gossip. It's just something I feel like you really need to know. 
Or, or yeah, yeah, I, I, I did yell at her, but, but I didn't really hurt her. We need to see, no, in fact, your words are like the thrust of a sword, we're told in the Bible. And we're told that gossip goes down like a morsel into the inner parts of another person, and a gossip separates friends. We're told that there's the power of life and death is in the tongue. But again, we'll minimize that. But when we examine our hearts, we need to remember that, that, that as we examine our own sin and our own struggles, especially if we're in that mode of correcting other people and we've got to stop and go, wait, hold on. What's the plank in my eye? Realize this. It's, it's kind of like on your mirror on your car. You know, objects are much larger than they appear, okay? They really are. Like, you've got to realize that. And I think even as we go to someone, we've got to ask ourselves that question. Uh, maybe, you know, for those of you who are parents, you know, maybe, maybe you're walking by, by the bedroom. You've already told the kid to clean up the room once. Didn't happen. Twice. Didn't happen. It's been three times. And at that point, you're like, you know what? I'm pretty sure they could survive on the street for a week. I'm pretty sure they could, right? Maybe. Like, you're just, you're kind of done. You know, you, you reset, you're just, you're done. And then the next moment, it could, something comes out. And, uh, and maybe all of you are looking at like, like, I've never done this before. I, you know, what's wrong with you, Chris? But I'll, I'll just be full disclosure here. I'll just say it. Your voice goes up. Your tone changes into like a sarcastic, kind of like a, you're zoroing the kid verbally, right? And, and, and what's the deal? You, you're basically saying to them, you know what? You are, and whatever comes out of your mouth, you're thinking in your mind, they're so self-preoccupied. They're just into their own little world. They're not even thinking about the family as a whole, whatever it is. Maybe that's the thought. Maybe it's, you know what? You're being really selfish. However, dad, in that moment, the fact that you are conducting yourself in this way toward your kid, who, yes, needs to grow, who, yes, needs to clean their room, who, yes, needs to honor their father and mother, etc. All that's true. But the way you're engaging with them is showing something. You want your way now. And what is that? That's selfish. Isn't it? So here we are. I'm correcting you. You shouldn't be selfish in a selfish way. And that's why that Galatians 6.1 principle is so important for us as we're engaging with other people. Whether, again, it's in the home, friendships, workplace, marketplace, you name it, wherever you find yourself. Is our tendency is to, we will go into a situation going, this needs correction, this needs to be dealt with, I need to go. And then, without meaning to, we inadvertently, in an uncanny way, exhibit the exact same sin we're trying to correct in other people. While we're engaging with them. This is correcting other people without self-examination. That's really what it is. It's, it's, it's going after, we're, we're preoccupied with the sins of other people rather than dealing with our own hearts before God first and then going, okay, Lord, now how can I be of help? So in other words, we're now back to that 
I'm a wounded medic on the battlefield. I've got nothing of myself to offer, but I know where to go for help, and it's Jesus. So as a parent, what am I doing in that moment? Okay, son, we've said this several times, and I'm, you're, you're, basically there's three different privileges you're losing at this point in time until this is done. And, um, and in addition to that, um, you know, we had a rabbit. I'm thinking back to our own kid's childhood. So we had a rabbit. It was a mistake. Don't ever get a rabbit. But anyway, <laughs> we had a rabbit. So you got to clean the cage, you know, four times instead of, you know, twice this month kind of a thing. Consequence, but it's given in a way that's not about me. It's not about me. It's about them growing. I'm being a parent. When we're in the other mode, when I'm running around with the log, we have two children in the room. Do you realize that? There are two children. When one is called to parent, deal with the log so you can correct the speck. And so for all of us, as we're dealing with one another, as we're dealing with the culture around us, with people in the workplace, wherever it would be, are we asking that question, Lord, what's the log? We need to ask that question, what's the log? Notice I didn't say, is there a log? If there's a log, trust me, there's a log, okay? You don't need to ask that question, you got them. We've all got multiple logs. So there's self-examination involved in this. There's self-examination involved so that as we're caring for others and as we're bringing about discerning correction of other people, we're doing so in a humble, lavished love kingdom way. And there's a big difference between that and what typically happens. Uh, we, we, in the other mode, we're basically just kind of, I don't know. This is an old reference. Some of you will know it, but there's a movie called Mr. Mom. By the way, it's old and it's still funny, I think, okay? But there's, he's dropping off the kids and, you know, he's subbing for mom because mom's now at work and he used to work outside the home and now he's inside the home and he's trying to juggle everything and he's, he's, he thought it'd be easy, totally overwhelming. And he's pulling in to the school and the kids are in the backseat going, dad, you're doing it wrong. Dad, you're doing it wrong. And he's like, no, I'm not. You're doing and then he pulls up to the thing and the attendant comes up, rolls up down the window and she's like, sir, you're doing it wrong. Right, that's, you know, and that's what we're, we're you're, we, you're doing it wrong. We, we're comfortable doing that. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. We are preoccupied with the sins of others. And so rather than that, we need to step back because when we, when we confront others in an unexamined way, we actually become hypercritical hypocrites. That's what happens. We become hypercritical hypocrites when we deal with the sins of other people without examining our own hearts first. And that is an awful witness to a lost world. To an awful witness about the lavish love of God that should be flowing through our lives in every place, in every way. Now, does that mean we don't ever engage in discernment? Of course not. No, we're talking about stop critiquing and start discerning. But if you're going to discern, you need to not only discern the lives of others, you need to discern also your own heart, your own life before God. That means we spend time before God in prayer. We, we spend time confessing our sins to God in prayer means we spend time taking the gospel yet again and applying the good news of the gospel to our own hearts. It means we're doing prep work internally, prayerfully before God before we're engaging with people out there. 
And this includes every form of our interactions with other people. Even, dare I say, our communications with people online. Uh-oh, I just went there, didn't I? See, so he's like, man, now he's messing with my life. Yeah, yeah, the Lord's messing with your life. It's not me, but here's the thing. If we're online, isn't that funny? You're online, you think, well, we're kind of, we're removed. It's not face-to-face. -face. And so we can just, and in our minds, like, take that. Take that, man. Here's another zinger for you. And before I'm done, you know, and, and it's, okay, you realize that whether you're physically with the person or online, you are still, as a human being, an image bearer of God and an ambassador for the gospel, interacting with other people. You do realize that, right? And so again, self-examination, prayer, Lord, help me to actually be a beacon of and an avenue of your lavish love for, for others in the way I deal with that. Because when we're preoccupied with the sins of others and when we don't examine our own hearts, we just become hypercritical hypocrites. And, uh, and we've got to be careful with that. We can make assumptions all the time. We do. We make massive assumptions. For example, I just thought of this, but it's possible that you would look at what I'm wearing today and assume that I want the Lions to win later today. But I don't. I'm wearing this because I went to the closet and it was clean. And so I put it on. That's pretty much how it works for me. I don't have a lot of thought. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. Which, by the way, would that be a sin? Well, I don't know. I need to examine my own heart. Is rooting for the Lions wrong? No, I'm, I'm sorry. You thought I'd make it the whole time without referencing the game? I, I didn't, but anyway. No, lavish love from God leads to a lavish life with others. And so we need to stop judging and start forgiving. We need to stop condemning, start giving. We need to stop critiquing and start discerning. And lastly, we need to stop pretending and start becoming. But we're actually out of time for today. So for that, we'll have to come back together next week. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and ask that you would help us to, uh, to grow, to see, to understand um, the ways in which we need to better live out your lavish love for us, uh, especially in our uh, daily lives, especially in the way that we conduct ourselves in our homes and in our workplaces and, and in places of uh, encountering those who don't yet know you and, and also... Uh, amongst brothers and sisters. We just look to you and we pray, Lord, that we would follow Jesus in this, that we would um, live out this beautiful kingdom um, principle of, of lavishing love because we've received so much love from you and because you love your enemies and we want to follow you in that as well. So give us grace to grow in these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.